we have a fantastic talk prepared for you. Um, this is Andy Brunning. He's uh, not only a science festival speaker on chemistry, but is in fact a secondary school um, teacher. So uh, I want to be at that school, obviously. Um, today he's uh, here to uh, show you some of the amazing chemistry that you can do with stuff that you find just in your kitchen. Um, so I believe the encouragement is do try some of this at home, um, obviously with suitable supervision. Um, and also, if you'd like any sort of follow-up on any of the things he's going to talk about, he does have a fantastic website, um, Compound Interest, which has absolutely nothing to do with banking and everything to do with chemistry. So do please give that a look as well. Um, and I'll hand you over to Andy. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Thank, um, lovely to see all of you here. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to be talking a little bit about kitchen chemistry, as you no doubt know, because that's what it was advertised as. Um, first of all, just to get an idea, how many chemists have we actually got in the audience today? Can you just stick your hand up in the air, give me a wave? Oh, a handful. Um, I'd actually disagree with some of you who haven't put your hands up, because I would argue that all of you are in some way chemists. Uh, perhaps not in the traditional way that you might imagine a chemist, but all of you in your kitchen will be carrying out chemical reactions whenever you're cooking, whenever you're preparing food in certain ways, even in some cases when you're eating, you're experiencing chemistry. And um, what we're going to be trying to do today is lift the lid on some of that chemistry. There's going to be a few things relating to things that you can just observe in the foods and drinks that we come across, and a few things that you can go away and then try yourself when uh, the talk's all over and finished. To start off with, I actually wanted to begin with one that I reckon the majority of you have probably seen or maybe even done before. Um, who's ever done the reaction of baking soda with vinegar? All right, yeah, it's a popular one. It's probably, when people think of kitchen chemistry, this is probably the one that they think of the most because it's one that, you know, when you're a kid, it's really easy to do. You've all got baking soda, you've all got vinegar. So what we've got in the bottle here, and we're going to use this as a starting point, then we're going to talk a little bit about some more interesting things you can do with baking soda. Uh, in here, I've just got baking soda mixed up with a little bit of water um, and also, for effect, some orange food colouring. And then all I'm going to do with this is pour some vinegar in. What am I going to see happen when I pour some vinegar in? Yes. It'll froth up, yeah. So um, hopefully, um, we should be able to see a bit of a mess, frankly. Um, well, what I didn't consider is that this bottle has got a lid in it. I'm going to have to prise that off. Or not. Okay. I came prepared. I'm just going to squirt some of the vinegar into here first. And then... With any luck, pouring that into there, we should get some nice frothiness on the go. Maybe a little bit more. A little bit unenthu unenthusiastic. <laughs> Here's one that you can try at home. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, we've got the frothing there. Um, can anyone tell me what is causing the frothing when we've got the vinegar and the baking soda reacting? What's being produced by that reaction that's causing the frothing? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's all, it's all mixing together. Does anybody know what's being produced by that reaction when it's mixing together? You're absolutely right. Yeah? Carbon dioxide, yeah. So the carbon dioxide gas that's being produced here is what's causing our froth. Um, on the plus side, it hasn't made the mess that I was planning on, so I'm not going to have to mop everything up afterwards. So I'm going to shunt that to one side because, like I said, there are some more fun things that you can do with baking soda as well that don't involve vinegar but do involve some other things that you can find around the kitchen. So in here, I've got just a little bit of baking soda, and mixed in with it, I also have just some sugar, uh, just normal table sugar you can go and buy in the shops. Now, what I'm going to do, this rather weird contraption here is just, um, basically, because this might get a little bit hot, this is the fire risk we were talking about a second ago. So in here, I've got just some, um, some of a powdered compound, which is going to act as a little bit of a fuel, which we're going to set fire to in a minute, and it's going to heat up our mixture of 
our baking soda and our sugar. Now, I'm using this powdered fuel because it works particularly well, but actually you can try this one with anything that's flammable. You can do it with, say for example, alcohol is flammable, or you can do it with lighter fluid. Obviously that's something that you wanna be a little bit careful of. You probably shouldn't just do it right underneath the smoke alarm at home, but it's one that's cer certainly possible to do as long as you're doing it on a non-flammable surface. So I'm now just gonna pour that sugar and baking soda mixture into there. And what I'm then gonna do, around it I've just got this paper cone which is just going to be essentially getting my reaction started because I'm going to set it on fire. Now if I just use this lighter here with any luck I'm going to light it on both sides and then we'll see what happens. It'll take a few seconds to get going. They're smoking which is a good sign. I might just light it again at the back just to make sure we're getting going on this one. Now at first, this looks very anticlimactic. When I first did it, I was looking at it and going, ah, oh, is that it? But with any luck, now that this, once the fuel in here starts burning, I'm just gonna keep my light on it just to make sure that that is getting started. We should start to see something really weird happening with our sugar. Unfortunately, my lighter is not doing a very good job of lighting this, but we're getting there. You can smell the smoke coming off, it's getting started. I'm just gonna leave the lighter there for a little while longer just to make sure that it actually gets going. Now I think we've got started, there we go. Yeah, now it's got going, lovely. So again, at first, we can see, you can already see actually up at the top, um, if you've ever kind of made tried to make caramel and left it on the stove for too long, you'll of course seen that it starts to go black and nasty and burnt and disgusting. Um, and the sugar caramelizing, of course, sugar when you heat it will produce, it decomposes and it kind of produces carbon dioxide and water vapor as well. Now as this reaction's happening, what's also happening, because we've got the baking soda mixed in with it, is the baking soda is gonna be producing carbon dioxide, the same as it was in that first reaction. And as it produces carbon dioxide, we'll hope you can hopefully start to see that our sugar is being transformed into some kind of monstrous black eruption coming out of this thing. Now, this is going to keep going for a while, but this just keeps continuing. The reason that this is happening is because as the sugar's burning, some of it's being burnt and producing carbon dioxide and water vapor. Some of it, though, is simply because it's not got a plentiful supply of oxygen is actually just kind of producing carbon, which is this obviously black substance that we can see spewing out of our plume here. Um, the reason that we're getting this huge kind of monster-like plume coming out of our sugar is because the baking soda that we've got mixed in there also produces carbon dioxide when it's decomposing, when it's being heated. It breaks down and it produces that carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide is getting trapped all in amongst the carbon. As this reaction goes on, we'll be able to, once it's finished, it'll be really, really hot at the moment, but once it's finished, we'll be able to just give it a little bit of a poke. And actually inside, despite the fact it looks like it would be kind of really um, hard and solid, it's actually really light and feathery and fluffy uh, because all of this is just made up just mainly of air. So our snake is barely just the solid containing the gas. This way, this way, very cool. <laughs> So, um, like I say, that one is going to just keep doing its thing. It will probably keep going for about another five minutes. So I'll come back to that one. I'm just gonna, just gonna leave him there. <laughs> now, in the meantime, there are plenty of other powders in your kitchen that you can make use of and you can then do some cool science with. One thing that you might well have in your cupboard at home is this powder here, turmeric. So turmeric, as you may well know, is a yellowy powder, quite often used in things like curries and things. Um, and we can actually do some quite neat science with turmeric, which doesn't require very much at all. Over here, if I just move some of my stuff out of the way, in this bottle here, I've simply got some alcohol. Now, um, this isn't alcohol for later, because actually this is um, very, very 
concentrated alcohol, it's probably about 60%, maybe even 70% alcohol. But using this, we can actually use our turmeric as well and make a really, really cool effect. So, the only other thing we're going to need is one of these, which is a UV lamp, produces UV light. Um, what I can do, if I open up my turmeric, if I turn my UV lamp on, Now, at the moment, if I shine that UV lamp next to my bottle of alcohol, there's a little bit of blue color from the UV lamp itself, but other than that, there's not really much to look at. However, now, actually, I do need a volunteer for this because my UV lamp doesn't really stand up very well on its own. So could I have a volunteer just to come and hold my UV lamp for me? Yeah, do you want to come up? Could you just hold that so it's pointing at my bottle just there? That's perfect. Thank you very much. So for this one, Here's my turmeric. Um, it only requires a very little amount as well. Now, I, although I'm using very concentrated alcohol for this, it works to a certain extent with water, and it works very well with just normal, you know, if you've got something like vodka or something like that, there's enough alcohol in it for it to work well with that as well. So, taking a very tiny amount of turmeric, and it really only does need to be a tiny bit, and if we watch the bottle very closely, are these as low down as the lights will go? Because it might be great if they could go down a little lower. Very nice, thank you. So if I just sprinkle that turmeric in there, watch closely what happens as it falls in. Pop a little bit more into it. The angle, I'll turn that light up just a little bit more at that. I'll put a little bit more in actually because that's Now, can you see, as that's falling down, we get a really, it's maybe not coming out quite as clearly on the screen there, but we get a really neat effect as the turmeric is slowly falling into our bottle here. As it comes down, we'll be able to see it hopefully even more clearly. Basically, our turmeric, as it's falling down through the alcohol, uh, alcohol is used because turmeric actually dissolves a bit better in alcohol than water. And as it does fall down, you can see this amazing kind of light trail that it's creating, this yellow-green trail behind it. This trail is due to a particular compound which is in turmeric. Now, this compound, which is called curcumin, which makes it sound like it might be in cumin as well, but it's not. It's just a complete naming coincidence. This compound absorbs some of that energy from the UV light that we're shining on it. Um, when it does that, it doesn't keep hold of that energy for long, and it basically then just boots it back out again, and it boots it out as visible light. So the reason that we can see these trails falling down through our alcohol as the turmeric's falling is because of this fluorescence of these curcumin molecules. Now, turmeric isn't the only thing that you have in your kitchen cupboard that's capable of doing that. There are actually quite a few things. Uh, if you go to the trouble of getting some just normal green plant leaves and boiling them in water and then straining it so that you've got red little leaves, you'll have actually extracted the chemical compound which makes plant leaves green, which is a compound called chlorophyll, as you may well be aware. And then chlorophyll actually shows some fluorescence as well. It actually goes a kind of reddish color. Another thing that we've got, which shows some quite nice fluorescence, is something, again, that you probably have at home, which is tonic water. I'm just gonna tear that off so that you can see a bit more clearly. So do you wanna just, if I shift this to the side, keep the lamp there, if I put the tonic water there, Check that out. So this is just normal tonic water. I haven't done anything to it. There's no trickery involved. Uh, tonic water does this because, again, it's got a particular chemical compound present in it, which causes it to glow under a UV light. In this case, the chemical compound is called quinine, which is um, originally quinine was added to tonic water as a kind of anti-malarial. Um, it's in tonic water in much lower concentrations than it was initially, uh, but it's still enough in there for it to give us this really nice blue glow when we shine a UV lamp on it. So all you need for that is the UV lamp and the tonic water. UV lamps, you might think, well, how on earth am I going to get hold of a UV lamp? Um, you can actually get them um, online very easily and very cheaply. You can get little mini UV torches because people quite commonly use them to check for pet urine, which also fluoresces under a UV light. Um, and so you can pick yourself up one. Um, you can check for pet urine, and you can also try some tricks with tonic water. Thank you very much. That's very helpful. Now, sticking, since we've started with a theme already and we've mentioned the use of turmeric, which of course is 
very commonly used in curries. Uh, I thought that we could also talk about something else which you'd quite commonly use in curries, which is, of course, the chili pepper. Now, I've got a whole array of chilies here. Now, these ones are quite tame ones by comparison. It does say on the front that they're small and fiery hot, um, but these ones actually aren't that spicy as chilies go. Now, chilies are spicy because of a chemical compound they contain. They contain a chemical compound called capsaicin, which is what gives chilies their spiciness. When you munch down on a chili, I'm not going to, but if I were to take a bite from this one, um, then the capsaicin which is found in the chili pepper is going to be starting to interact with my tongue and not in a good way. Capsaicin essentially causes the stimulation of receptors on your tongue, which usually detect things like heat and physical abrasion. So the reason that when you eat a chili pepper, it feels like your mouth is on fire is because this chemical compound in chilies has actually tricked your mouth into thinking that it is on fire. Now, have we got anybody in the audience who is a big fan of spiciness? I'm thinking probably more an adult for this one who is absolutely loves spicy food, completely crazy about it. I can see a few hands up at the... Let's see. Uh, we can pick a couple of people as well. I can see someone gesturing wildly up there. If, <laughs> if you'd like to come down, you can. If you're just being volunteered, you don't have to. I can see someone with their hand up, up at the back there. Would you like to come down? Um, let's have one more person. Uh, where else? Oh, someone's put their hand down there. Any more? I will go Valos first, because we're, um, we're going we're gonna to up the stakes a little bit after this one. There will be some ones you can try as well. Let's have one more. Yeah, go, do you want to come down? <laughs> okay, so what I thought we could do, first of all, um, do you like really spicy food? Yeah, just being nominated. Just being nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, first of all, would you like to try a little bit of these ones? Now, chili peppers are measured, have, they have their spiciness measured on a, um, a scale, which is called the Scoville scale. Now, actually, in all honesty, it's not a particularly scientific scale. It involves a group of five testing people um, having a dried extract of the chili pepper, and they basically keep tasting it and they keep diluting it with sugar and water until they can no longer detect the spiciness. So that sounds pretty much like a job that you'd only want to do if you really like chili peppers. From the findings, from how long it takes them to dilute it down so that they can no longer taste the spiciness, they then assign it a number on this Scoville scale. Now, it goes pretty high. Sco one Scoville heat unit would be probably the mildest chili pepper that you've ever eaten. Something like a jalapeno is about 3,000 Scoville heat units, which sounds a lot, but compared to some of the others, again, it's really something quite mild. Um, for these ones, these little bird's eye chilies here, uh, these ones are a about 200,000 Scoville units, which again, sounds like quite a lot. Uh, would you like to just try a tiny bit? I've only cut off some small bits on that one. Would you like to grab one of those? We have got some water and other soothing things. Sadly not, yeah. Got that one? How are you finding that, that one? Little bit of kick, anything too serious? Bit of a shrug. Nah. <laughs> All right. In which case, let's get serious. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, these ones. Now, actually, I went into Tesco's and found these. I was just looking for an assortment of chilies, and I thought, oh, Komodo dragon chilies, that sounds nice. Um, I thought, it's in Tesco. How hot is it going to be? Um, I later looked up how hot Komodo dragon chilies are. They're pretty much the third spiciest chilies that you can possibly get. Um, they do say on the packet down the bottom, don't consume whole, which is a good thing, because I had no plans to do so. Um, and they say, also say, do not touch without wearing gloves. Um, <laughs> Hence the gloves. Now, actually, in, in terms of the, the spice, I have a smell of that. It doesn't smell that spicy. I, I'm not totally convinced. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to give you, because you're going to have to touch a piece of it, and I quite think that it's probably a good idea for you not to then be touching your eyes, etc. afterwards. I'm going to give you a glove to pick it up with as well. Now, let's, let's crack one of these out and give it a go. So I'm going to give you a very small bit. Um, <laughs> I'm also not going to give you a bit with the membrane on, because actually the membrane is the spiciest part of the chili pepper. So we'll, we'll tone it down a little. We'll just go for some of the bits of the flesh, which should still have a little bit of kick to them. So let's do a bit of that HM. Oh, it's getting stuck to my gloves. Oh, I've lost a bit of chili pepper. There's a rogue bit of chili pepper flying around somewhere. Again, if you want to grab a piece, they are very tiny pieces, but I'm, I'm playing it safe. Go for the tiny bit. <laughs> go on, go for the big bit. Go on. <laughs> Don't chop a bit off. <laughs> I'm not being quite that sadistic. Is the other one spicier? All right. Now, this one, the Komodo dragon. Um, it comes in at about 1.4 million Scoville heat units, uh, which is a little bit spicier, supposedly, than this one. Like I say, I haven't given you the bit of membrane because I want your mouth not to be completely on fire, uh, but it should, in theory, be have a bit more kick. What do we reckon on that one? Has it got a bit more kick? No? no? <sighs> okay. Um, Waft that towards yourself carefully and sniff. Give it a sniff. <laughs> now, this, these ones, um, these are the hottest chilies in the world. Uh, this is a chili called a, a Carolina Reaper. I couldn't find them in Tesco. Um, <laughs> now, these ones are actually dried, so in theory, we should only need a very small amount of this. Um, it doesn't come with any of the warnings about gloves on the packet, which is a little bit irresponsible. But when I opened it, I could actually smell the spiciness in the envelope. I'm pretty sure if I licked the envelope, my mouth would start burning. Um, now, we're going to very carefully remove a little bit of these. Now, because these ones are actually in dried form already, I'm just going to kind of crumble a little bit off and get you to taste a very, very tiny bit. So let's crack some of these bits up. OK. Now, that does smell incredibly spicy. Give a tiny bit of one of those a go. You can even just go for. Yeah. Go for a small bit as well. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. <laughs> bit more, bit more poke to that one. Is your mouth a little bit on fire now? Oh yes. <laughs> Now, the good news is <laughs> we do have some stuff to soothe it. As we said, um, we've got some water, which actually isn't very useful. If you're trying to soothe, um, yes, of course. <laughs> if you're trying to soothe a chili burn with, with water, it's not really going to work very well because uh, the water will actually not dissolve the capsaicin when you eat it. But there's more coming, don't worry. <laughs> um, the reason being, capsaicin isn't very soluble in water, so if you try and just down a glass of water to get rid of the spiciness afterwards, it's not really going to work because it's still going to stay stuck to your um, receptors on your tongue. The better way of soothing a chili burn is using something which contains fat molecules because actually capsaicin, whilst not being very soluble in water, is quite nice and soluble when it's in uh, a fat solution. It dissolves in fats. Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Thank you very much for our volunteers. Keep the milk if you'd like some more. More is available. <laughs> if you want to top up with milk as we go back, feel free. If you want to top it up, go for it. <laughs> okay, so moving on from our chilies here, then I'm probably quite aware that I probably should have um, put these, this huge Carolina Reaper away before I took my gloves off. I'm just going to put that in there with the gloves. Now, I'm going to get rid of my Komodo dragon over there as well. Uh, now, another thing that you'll quite commonly put in curries, and probably quite a lot of other foods as well, uh, is one of these, an onion. Now, 
Onions have got some interesting chemistry involved in them as well. What's going to happen if I chop an onion? I'm going to cry, yeah. So um, you've probably all experienced this one. Um, if you chop an onion, it makes you cry. Now, it might seem like that's quite straightforward, but actually the chemical in onions which makes you cry isn't even present before you've chopped it. It's only a consequence of you chopping the onion that causes it to be generated. So, hands up, who really cries when they chop onions? <laughs> Do you want to come up? <laughs> and a few other people. This is turning into a really sadistic presentation, isn't it? Just like inflicting chilies on you. Anybody else? Yeah, do you want to come on? Is that one more person? Yeah, do you want to come down? <laughs> come on up over here. <laughs> okay. Now, does anybody have any things that they use to try and stop onions making their eyes water? Yeah. Chop them underwater, yeah. I don't have a, a bowl of water here. That's one thing you can do. We'll explain why in a second. Yeah? Don't touch that. Don't touch that, yeah. So there, there are, you could maybe kind of avoid chopping certain areas, perhaps. That might work. Yeah? Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. OK, that's one we can try. Um, who wants to try just keeping their mouth shut while I'm chopping the onion? Brilliant. <laughs> uh, what other things should we try? Goggles, yeah. Who wants to wear goggles? Yeah, do you want to give it a go? Um, if I can work out open, there you go. There you go, very stylish pair of goggles there. Um, now another one that I've also heard is that apparently if you keep water in your mouth, supposedly that's meant to actually help you when it comes to not making your eyes water. So let's, let's give that a go as well. All good, yeah. So who wants to try that one? Yeah, you wanna try it? So just take a mouthful of water, and keep it in your mouth. Yeah, don't swallow it. Just keep it there in your mouth. Okay. Now, if, you, if I have two of you on this side, two of you on this side, and let's give it a go. Here's my onion. Come nice and close so that the, the onion can cause your eyes to water quite nicely with any luck. Okay, let's just peel that bit off as well. Now I'm going to chop it up quite nicely and we'll see if any of these methods are actually helping you out at all. Yeah, come on, come on in, because that way the oniony goodness can reach your eyes. Oop, onion on the floor. Anybody's eyes watering yet? A little bit? Yeah? I've got a sneaky trick I'll let you in on in a minute, which is why my eyes aren't watering. Your eyes watering there? We'll come a little bit closer. And <laughs> okay, so let's see. So, um, how's it working for you? A little bit of eye watering? Yeah? How's the water thing working? Kind of working, yeah? You're a little bit further away, but it might be working. How are the goggles working? Perfect. Uh, how was it without anything? Your, your eyes okay? Yeah? <laughs> Immune to onions. Um, now, the reason that the goggles work is because the chemical which is produced, um, like we said, it's only produced when you chop the onion. The reason is that in the onions, they've got little pockets which contain these enzymes which kick off a cascade of reactions which eventually produces the chemical that makes your eyes water. So one way of getting around making your eyes water is just to chop the onion really fast because it does take a little bit of time. It takes about 30 seconds to a minute for this reaction to start kicking in. You'll notice when you're chopping onions that it doesn't make your eyes water straight away. It takes a little bit of time. However, unless you're really good at speed chopping onions, that's probably going to be a little bit of a problem. Uh, one thing that you can do is stick some swimming goggles on. Very practical. Um, the reason that that works, of course, is that the chemical that's produced, which is then diffusing towards your eyes, um, the goggles that you've got on there, which are slipping off a little bit now, but it kind of helps block it. Um, the one with the water in your mouth doesn't usually work, but it seems to work quite effectively for you. So that's good news for you, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that I find always works quite well is just wearing contact lenses, actually, because contact lenses form a little bit of a barrier that prevents that chemical from being able to diffuse in your eyes quite as well. The reason it causes your eyes to sting... <laughs> you can stand a bit further back if you want. <laughs> 
The reason it causes your eyes to sting is because when that chemical reaches your eyes, it actually reacts a little bit with the water in your eyes. It produces the tiniest, tiniest amount of sulfuric acid. Um, and as we all know, having acid in your eyes isn't a great experience. So your eyes are stinging right now because that chemical is diffusing into them and causing a little bit of sulfuric acid to be produced, which is making your eyes sting, and they're watering to try and wash it out, basically. Um, so I tell you what, if you wanted to just go back and get away from the chopped onion. Yeah, thank you very much for your help, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now, something which links our onion and what I'm gonna talk to you about next is sulfur. Now, sulfur is kind of the, the stinky member of the periodic table, frankly, particularly when it comes to chemistry in the kitchen. Uh, anything that smells bad or is in any other way kind of quite unpleasant usually has sulfur behind it. Um, or sulfur in a chemical compound. What does sulfur smell like, generally? Yeah, like eggs. So sulfur as an element has a kind of eggy smell. When it's combined with other elements in compounds, it doesn't really get much better. Um, there are lots of different sulfur-containing compounds, and all of them smell pretty horrendous, frankly. Um, who here likes asparagus? Hands up if you like asparagus. Yeah, lots of asparagus fans, excellent. Um, weirder question. Hands up if you've ever sniffed your wee after you've eaten <laughs> asparagus. <laughs> now, those of you without your hands up might be looking around at people next to you and maybe edging away from one or two people with their hands up. It's not as weird a question as it might initially seem. It is a pretty weird question, frankly. Um, asparagus, when some people eat asparagus, you'll notice that for a few hours after you've eaten asparagus, your wee smells really strange. Now, you might still be thinking, if you've not experienced this, what is with all these weird people who are getting up to our toilet bowl and sniffing their wee? It's not something that you have to get that up close and personal with in order to be able to detect. Because these compounds are really, really stinky. They're sulfur-containing compounds. They originate from a chemical compound in asparagus, which is called asparagusic acid. And asparagusic acid is a chemical compound which, when you digest it, breaks down and then it produces a whole host of other smaller, very stinky sulfur-containing compounds which then get passed out through your urine and makes, them, makes your urine smell a bit weird, frankly. Uh, now, first of all, can I just get a show of hands again? How many people have experienced that? How many people have eaten asparagus and noticed it makes your wee smell? Yeah, quite a few. Hands up if you've eaten asparagus and you've never noticed that at all and you're thinking this is all a bit strange. Yeah, a handful as well. Now, there is a reason for that as well, because it's not actually something which affects everybody. Uh, the phenomenon of asparagus making your wee smell is something which doesn't affect absolutely everyone. Uh, for reasons which scientists suspect are genetic, we're still not entirely clear, presumably because there's not a lot of money in researching what happens when you eat asparagus and then urinate. Um, for whatever reason, some people can produce urine after eating asparagus, which smells kind of weird and some people just can't. Equally, it gets even weirder because some people can detect the smell and some can't. So actually, those of you in the audience who have never noticed this, you might experience it, but you might just not be able to smell it. So it's a little bit of a strange one. Another thing relating to sulfur-containing compounds, which is equally strange, is relating to Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Hands up who likes Brussels sprouts. Pretty good. Um, now, those of you who don't, who didn't have your hands up, there's something that you might be able to blame, actually. In order to talk about what that is, though, we're going to need to actually talk about a chemical compound which isn't found in asparagus at and in Brussels sprouts at all. Um, this is a compound called um, phenylthiocarbamide, or PTC, for those of us who don't have all day. Um, PTC is a chemical compound which contains a very, very similar part of its structure to the chemical compounds that are found in Brussels sprouts when you cook them. Now, could I have, I need some volunteers to test this one out. Um, I actually need, first of all, can I have hands up 10 people who like Brussels sprouts? So let's just pick a few people out quickly. You like Brussels sprouts, great. You like Brussels sprouts, come on up. Anybody else, come on up. Yep, come on up, both, yep. So how many have I got now, four? Yep, do you wanna come on up, yep. Yeah, who else have we got? Let's have, how many have I got actually? 
<laughs> I'm losing count. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> How many have I got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One more. Yes. Come on up. Okay, can I now have 10 people who absolutely hate Brussels sprouts? Come on up. Come on. Oh, I, I, you came up already, didn't you? So I'll get somebody else. Come on. Come on up. Come on up. Um, yes, do you want to come on up? Who else have we got? Yeah, do you want to come on up? Yeah. Again, I'm losing count. So if you don't like Brussels sprouts on this side, if you do like them on that side. Yep, I think we've, I'm not sure how many we've got now. I've just been saying yes at people, so we might end up with more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We need one more then. Who have we got? Let's have a top. Whereabouts? Oh, it's coming. Oh, excellent. In which case, we've got 10. Wonderful. Okay, now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a piece of paper. I don't want you to do anything with it at first. Do you want to give one to people on that side? So, just take a piece of paper and just hold it there for a second, and I'll tell you what to do with it in a minute. Now, these little strips of paper which I'm giving out here, uh, these have actually got a little bit of that chemical compound PTC on it. Um, and PTC is a very interesting compound. When it was first discovered, um, the chemist who was making it actually spilt a little bit of it in the lab in which he was working. Uh, he didn't really think anything of that. He was just obviously trying to clear it up. His lab mate who worked in the same lab, everybody on this side got one now? got two as well. Okay. Now, the person who was working in the same lab as him turned around and said, oh, what on earth is that? That is absolutely disgusting. It's getting all in my mouth. Ugh. Uh, and he was very confused by this because it wasn't tasting of anything to him whatsoever. It turns out that PTC is quite weird in that only 70% of people can actually taste the taste of PTC, which is a relatively bitter taste. So let's see um, from the people we've got here. If you take your paper strip, literally all you have to do is just Stick it on your tongue. And just leave it there for a second. <laughs> now, uh, from our group of people here who don't like Brussels sprouts, uh, well, you're the group who like Brussels sprouts. I've got my groups confused. Um, the group who like Brussels sprouts, um, hands up who can taste anything other than just paper. Quite a few people. Yeah, a handful. What's it kind of taste of? A little bit bitter, yeah? How about on our side of people who don't like Brussels sprouts? Who can taste things on this side? Yeah, the, all the majority of people on this side. Now, that's because PTC, like we said, contains part of its chemical structure, which is quite similar to that of some chemical compounds found in Brussels sprouts when you cook them. Now, studies that have been done actually show that there's a correlation between not liking or being able to detect even the taste of this PTC compound and not liking Brussels sprouts. So if you, don't, if you can detect it, you're more likely to not like Brussels sprouts. It's not foolproof, as we saw. Some of the people on our side who do like Brussels sprouts could still detect it, because um, there are probably other factors at play in why you don't like Brussels sprouts as well. Uh, but it's quite interesting to see that there is a link. Now, it's to do with a genetic basis. The ability to taste PTC is a, a trait which you can actually, it's a heritable trait, you can inherit it. They used to even use it in paternity testing before DNA testing was actually a thing. Um, and so it's quite an interesting one. So thank you to all of my Brussels sprout lovers and haters. Off you go. Thank you. <laughs> now, Brussels sprouts are actually kind of relatives of many other vegetables we have. Broccoli is in a, a broadly the same family. Um, and another vegetable which is present in the same family of vegetables is a cabbage. So here, I've simply got, it's wrapped up in cling film, but this is just red cabbage. And there's some quite cool chemistry that you can try at home with red cabbage. All you have to do, and what I've actually done in advance, because it would take a little bit of time for me to show you it today, is you have to take your red cabbage, chop it up as you would if you were preparing it to eat it, stick it in a saucepan, stick some water in with it, and start it boiling. Get it up to the boil, and then just let it cool down for a little bit. Let it sit there for eh, broadly about half an hour or so, and let it cool down. 
When it's cooled down, you can strain the cabbage leaves themselves out from your solution. You'll be left with something which looks a little bit like this. Now, probably to most of you from here, that probably looks like just a very dark, inky bottle. But actually, um, it's got a very slight, well, what color? Can you, you can probably see from the front there. Can you see the color that that's going? Yeah, like a dark purple. Um, you can see it in here as well, maybe a little bit more clearly, because this tube I filled up with this red cabbage juice that we've got here. Now, red cabbage juice is really quite interesting chemically, because the chemical compounds which give red cabbage its red color, or purple color, really, I suppose, these chemicals are a family of chemicals called amphocyanins. Uh, and amphocyanins have got a rather interesting property in that they can change color when you add acids or alkalis to them. So you can test this out with a whole host of things. You could test it out with lemon juice. You could test it out with um, some other kind of common acidic ingredients. You could test it out with baking powder as well, which would be, an, um, would be alkaline when it's dissolved in your red cabbage juice. I've got here just a few bits and pieces. Now, I've actually um, gone fairly straightforward. I'm going to use just some hydrochloric acid, which is quite a common acid you might be aware of, and also some sodium hydroxide. And we're going to see if we can see the full spectrum of possible colors that we can get from our red cabbage juice here. So into this tube, at one end, I'm gonna pop a few drops of, thank you, <laughs> gonna pop a few drops of my hydrochloric acid. And then at the other end, I'm gonna pop in, I'm gonna spin it around, and I'm gonna pop in a few drops of my sodium hydroxide, and we're gonna see what the effect of that is. There we go. So, take the stopper off this end. acid. Only need a few drops. Now you can probably already see there that my color right at the top has started to change. We'll be able to see it a little bit more clearly once it starts to mix. I just need to make sure that this stopper actually goes back in. There we go. So I'm just going to flick that up like that. You'll see as it starts to travel up, you can now see that really strong. We've got a strong red color down that end from the hydrochloric acid that I've put in. Now let's see if we can get a different color through adding a few drops of our sodium hydroxide here. And then, should probably put the stopper on first before I give it a spin, otherwise that'll get messy. Now let's give it a spin that way and see what we can see. So hopefully you can see, I'm not sure if that's um, coming through very well on the projector up behind me, but hopefully you can see that our red cabbage indicator, we've got the purple still in the middle. Up the top where we've added the acid on this end, we've got to a kind of reddish color. Um, and down the bottom here, we've got where we've added the sodium hydroxide, which is the alkali, has gone a kind of greenish color. We can make that a little bit clearer if I just pop some into some smaller beakers. So if I just grab a second beaker up here, and if I pour just a little bit of my hydrochloric acid into this one, just a little bit of my sodium hydroxide into this one. And then a little glug of my red cabbage juice. We can get a nice, almost traffic -like, uh, light effect. If we could get a yellowy color from it, we'd be set. So that's something that's really, really easy to try at home. Another thing you can try it with, particularly around Christmas when they're actually for sale in the shops, if you've seen the poinsettia plants that they always sell with the red leaves, those red leaves also are red because of these amphocyanin compounds. So if you pick a few of them off after Christmas when your poinsettia plant is probably dying anyway, um, or certainly if you've got my skills in keeping plants alive, then you can, again, boil them in some water, extract those compounds out, and then turn them into a very simple but effective acid base indicator. Now, final couple of things we're going to look at today. Um, I've got another one which I'm going to need a few volunteers for. Um, I think probably four volunteers should do the trick. Yep, do you want to come up? Um, yep, if you'd like to come up. Would you like to come up there? And one more. Yep, would you like to come up? Now, we're going to be checking out the properties of a very, very weird fruit, which you might not even have heard of previously. 
The fruit we're going to be talking about is a fruit called the miracle berry. Um, the miracle berry contains a very special chemical compound which can have a very kind of strange effect on our taste buds. Now, actually, miracle berries are really hard to grow. There's a reason you probably haven't heard of them, because they're really difficult to grow apart from in um, their native climate. They grow in um, some places in Asia, but other than that, they're very, very hard to cultivate elsewhere. So luckily, um, some people have managed to extract this chemical compound from miracle berries, and they've managed to put it into tablet form. So if you want to take just one of these tablets, now what you need to do with these is if you just chew on it and keep it in your mouth for as long as possible and try and make sure it goes all over your tongue, yeah? Just take a piece of those. Don't swallow it, but chew it in your mouth. Keep it in your mouth and chew it. There you go. Now, what is the weird effect that miracle berries can have on your tongue? Well, they contain a chemical compound called miraculin, um, which is unsurprisingly named after the fruit. And this chemical compound has a really weird effect in that it can make things that you taste that would usually taste sour taste really sweet. Uh, the reason for this is that it actually interacts with your taste buds and it interacts with regions which would usually detect sweet tastes um, and it actually modifies them so that they can then be triggered by things which would otherwise taste quite sour. So in this tub here, I have got some lemons and limes. Now what face would you usually pull if you sucked on a lemon? Exactly, yeah. So it would be quite sour. It probably wouldn't be very pleasant. Um, if you've all not already, swallow your tablets and then give, give a slice of lemon a go. Just grab a slice of lemon, just, you know, if you're feeling tentative, you can just give it a lick or you can just go full on and bite into it. See what you think. What's that like? Nice, yeah? <laughs> Is it particularly sour? No, not really. Tell you what, you can also, what you can also try, when you're finished with the lemons, you can just, You could also try, I've got some limes in there as well, give those ones a go once you've finished with the lemon. Because again, limes should really taste quite sour, shouldn't they, if you just stick a lime in your face. But give it a go and see, see what that's like. Enjoying those. <laughs> How's the lime tasting? Yeah, really good as well? Sweeter, yeah. So, so this is the effect of this miraculin binding to your taste buds on your tongue, essentially. It's making these things that would usually taste really sour and quite nasty taste actually quite pleasant. Uh, who's feeling even more adventurous? Who wants to try something that should really taste really sour? So you probably wouldn't usually taste a bit of vinegar, would you? Uh, because vinegar tastes quite unpleasant, and certainly you wouldn't want a cup of vinegar. Uh, who wants to give it a go? Yeah? Try some of that one. What's that like? <laughs> Is it good? Yeah? Do you want to give it a go? Yeah, no? Yeah, go on. There you go. Try that one out. Right, the bad news is that you're never going to taste sour things again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it lasts for about an hour or so. We've only used half a tablet, so it'll probably last a little bit shorter. So maybe if you're quick after the lecture, you could go and try and find all the sour things and try them, but it will wear off. And after about, in about, probably in about half an hour's time, you won't be able to, you know, you won't be wanting to just suck on a lemon, probably. So thank you very much. But you can, I can grab the plastic cups off you if you head off. Okay. Final thing we're going to look at today then before there'll be time for a few quick questions before we finish. For this one, I'm going to need a few other bits and pieces from down here. Um, I'm actually going to need another three volunteers to help out with this one, in fact. Who else have I got? I'm not going to make you stick lemons in your face this time. Uh, anybody who hasn't come down already as well, particularly. Yeah, would you like to come down in the grey shirt? Nice. I've just swiveled it around. Um, yep, yeah, would you like to come down? 
And one more person, I think. Yeah, go on, up the gum. You're right, close near the front. So. out of the way. Now, um, do you guys, well, it's a weird question, do you like lava lamps? Do you know what a lava lamp is? No, not really sure. Um, who does like lava lamps and knows what a lava lamp is? Yeah? Um, lava lamps basically, of course, they um, contain like a weird kind of globule. They float around when you turn them on, they heat up and you can see it kind of going around. You might have seen them before. Um, the downside to lava lamps is they are quite expensive and they do actually take forever to heat up. Luckily, we can actually, using some simple kitchen chemistry, create our own little mini lava lamps. Um, we can do that just with a few common things, again, that you can find in your kitchen. So the first thing we're going to need is, I'm just going to pour a little bit of water into each one of these beakers. Probably only about that much is necessary. Now, what I'm also going to do is I'm going to grab some oil. I'm going to pour it on top. What's going to happen when I pour the oil on top of the water? Yeah? Um, the oil is going to either stay on the surface or break apart. Yeah, no, absolutely right. It's not going to mix, is it? Yeah, so um, as we probably all know, oil doesn't really dissolve in water at all. So it should, it will mix in a little bit first perhaps, but then it will very quickly separate out and then leave us with just a layer of oil on top of our water. So I'm going to try and get them as even as possible. Come on, you can go a little bit more. <laughs> now, we'll let that just settle out a little bit. Now, I'm going to need your help at this point with a few things. First of all, I do have over here, well, I've got, do I think, Four volunteers. Um, well, that's okay. You can, you can help each other out, no problem. Um, this one's for you. This one's for you. I'll share this one between the two of you. I'll get you to help out with your second bit. You can both do the second bit as well. Now, what I'm going to get you to do is you'll also need some of these. Now, some of these, are, that one's probably a squirty bottle, actually, so you might be able to squirt it directly in. But the ones that you've got, I think, might just be ones where you need to use those. Um, that one, I think, you should be able to squirt in. Could you just inter pick a beaker? It doesn't matter which one. Pick your own beaker. They're all the same. Um, could you put a few drops just of food coloring, just about seven to eight drops of food coloring into the beaker of your choice? Just give it a bit of a squeeze. Yeah, perfect. Do you want me to give you a hand on that one? Yeah, just go for it with the orange. Just spread it around a little bit as well. Let's get, get a bit more in there as well. With the orange one, that's perfect with the green one. Yeah, just put that all in there. Go for it. All right, brilliant. Now, what I'd also like you to do, take one of these. You can just pop the pipettes down if you want to come around back around to this side. Take one of those. Take one of those. Now, these are Alka-Seltzer tablets. What do Alka-Seltzer tablets do when you drop them in water? They fizz, yeah. Um, this actually takes us right back to what we started with today because we started looking at um, baking, baking soda. And actually, this also contains um, sodium bicarbonate, which is the compound which is in baking soda. Now, what's going to happen is they also contain um, usually citric acid, uh, which is the same acid you find in lemons, actually. And when we pop them into water, they dissolve into the water at the bottom there, and then they're going to start reacting together, and it's going to produce carbon dioxide, like we saw right at the beginning with our, uh, carbon, with our baking soda and vinegar. So if you tear open your packet, you should have two tablets in there, and then you can split the two tablets between the two of you. All I want you to do is just quickly drop both of those two tablets into your beaker, and then we'll see what happens, what the effect is. Yeah, so you want, do you want to drop them in from this side just so they can see what's going on at the, at the front as well? So just reach across and drop them both in. Lovely. And then just pop it into that one as well. You got it? Yeah, perfect. Job done. 
So hopefully you can see, can't you, that the Alka-Seltzer tablets are bubbling really nicely. Now, it's probably not going to replace your commercial lava lamp at home. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, it's quite a nice little effect. Unfortunately, it is one which isn't continuous, so you need to keep putting Alka-Seltzer tablets in there. They will settle down after a while, but it creates a really neat effect as the Alka-Seltzer tablets dissolve. Those carbon dioxide bubbles are carrying up our colored water at the bottom, and then as the bubbles break off of our water, because the water doesn't mix with the oil, it's then going to be dropping straight back down. It's creating this circulating current. Thank you very much, volunteers. <laughs> Okay, I think we've just about got time. We've got just about five minutes left, I think. Um, so we've got time for, if anybody's got a few questions about chemi kitchen chemistry or anything we've done today, I think we've got time to quickly cover some of those ones. I've got a box that I can throw at people, which sounds like it could definitely go wrong. Ready? Yeah. It should amplify your voice so everybody can hear it. Um, I have a, a question about the miracle berries. Yes. Uh, can you buy the tablets or the extracts? You can, yeah. That, they're a little bit hard to find. There aren't very many places that um, sell them, but you can find them. There are some places online where you can buy them. For instance, these are the ones that I actually bought. So they're just, they come in like a pack of 10. They're not the cheapest, but um, if you've got one, you know, one, one's all you need. Um, and so you can have, I think people actually buy these and have taste tripping parties, I think they call them, where they get loads of sour things in, have one of these miracle berries, and then just go crazy. I, I have issue with acidity, like I cannot eat oranges now anymore because they make me cough or things like that. So I oh. just wonder if it would work, I don't know. I don't, I've, it, it won't chemically change the compounds which are which you're ingesting, so I, mean, I suppose if, if you've got like you don't like eating particularly acidic foods, then they'd, they'd still be acidic. You just wouldn't taste it, I guess, because of the miracle berries making it taste a little bit sweeter and overriding that sour taste. Mm. Does anybody else have a question? My daughter. Yeah, go and pass it along. Um, is there any chemistry you could do with Skittles? There is, yeah. You know what you can do with Skittles? You can do a really neat demonstration of um, something called diffusion, which you might have come across in science lessons. If you get a plate, uh, just a flat, uh, plate with like a slight rim on the side and you put water into the plate so just a shallow level layer of water and then you put skittles around the edge okay. and then if you just leave it the colors from the skittles will slowly diffuse into yeah, the water we did that. yeah that's a good one <laughs> do you want to throw it back up i'll try and catch it okay all right i'm gonna go for it you ready take cover <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> like not just in a tablet yes if you ha if you were able to get your hands on miracle berries the fruit they would also have that effect like i said the trouble is they're actually quite hard yeah that, that's probably for the best <laughs> they're actually quite they're actually quite hard these ones to actually get in the uk so the tablets are probably your safest bet on those ones i'm not really sure i should give this back <laughs> I'm, I'm not really sure you should either <laughs> i bet I, i'm do two more two more all right i'm, I'm gonna just Bring it up to people, I think, because I think that might be safer. I don't want to. There is a roving anybody. mic as well. Yeah, I'll come up this way. I, it can't go wrong from here, surely. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really a question, though. Can we see the um, sugar thing on the screen? The yeah, I expect earlier. we can. I don't know if. Oh, falling down the stairs. I can hold it up. Looks like the guys are running around trying to do it. There you go. I can move it across that way if that's easier. Or we can pan over. Coming. Coming. There it is. Um, so you can see that actually it's really, really light and fluffy. Um, if I hold it up, I'm not sure you can see that. I can just break it off and bits will just kind of flake off of it. So despite the fact it looks really solid and crispy, it's actually quite, you know, there's not really much to it. It's mainly kind of pockets of gas that was produced during the reaction. How many have we got time for? Uh, we'll do one more. One more? Now the pressure's on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a great idea in theory. I'm not sure if <laughs> in practice it keeps you on your toes, I suppose. Who else has got a question? Is there any? I'll come up to, come up to you just there in the middle. If you have got any other questions afterwards, I will be hanging around so you can quickly come and find me and ask them. Who was it who had their hand up up here? It was you, wasn't it? I'm not going to throw it at all. 
had one of them berries, if you ate a sweet thing, would it taste sour? Um, it doesn't actually affect your perception of sweet taste at all. It's a good question. It, sweet things still taste the same. So, so there are some things when you eat them, it makes no difference. It just tastes identical. And there are some things, if they do taste sour, that it makes them taste a little bit weird. Okay, okay, okay I great. think... Thanks very much. Um, can we give one more? Thank you. Thanks very much, Andy. So I, I will be around if you if you want to ask if you've got any quick questions you want to ask, I will loiter for a short while. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs>